Hey guys, it's Amber. I have a special bonus episode for you today. I don't know if you've had the chance to check out the behind the series episodes that I do each month with Pastor Mike Novotny on his podcast called Time of Grace with Pastor Mike Novotny. Each month we talk about his upcoming TV message series. This month his series is about Christmas stress and I'm guessing that you can relate. So I'm going to share with you the latest interview I did with Pastor Mike right here on Little Things. I hope you enjoy. Well, hello, Time of Grace friends. Pastor Mike here. Uh, Super excited. You can't see me, but right now I am rocking a Christmas sweater. Um, It is think ugly Christmas sweater and just turn the dial up maybe six notches. And it's literally a English soccer Christmas sweater with Santa and the reindeer and a big full moon and trees. Can you picture it? It's it's a beautiful sweater. I actually can. (laughs) Speaking (laughs) of words that start with S-W-E, we have a Swenson with us today. That was such a smooth, I, I know I'm not a podcaster for a living Amber, but I thought that was really good. Yeah. I just, I, I came on here and I didn't realize that we were doing the ugly sweater. And, and so now I'm feeling all left out. <laughs> what you don't know if you're listening is Amber for <laughs> seven to maybe 17 minutes before we hit record was venting about Christmas. So that might, that might come on, but in this episode, so if you want to hear, <laughs> if you want to hear a fierce theological debate about Christmas, you're, you're going to want to tune in for this whole episode. Cause we don't know what's going to happen. I feel like Amber, just the look on your face, you're you're on the brink. Of, it's everything you want to say is right there and you're holding you're it back. But you're not lying. I'm going to push some button in the next 30 minutes and it's all going to come out and it's going to be glorious. I've prayed for self-control, Pastor Mike. I think I'm good. I'm feeling very <laughs> calm right here. But the actual sermon series that we're going to talk about is called Christmas Stress. Ooh. And I can't imagine why anybody would think that there would be any stress around Christmas. <laughs> That's so true. It was a silent night, wasn't it? And Jesus it was, didn't and cry. And that's why I was and... wondering where this name, this title came from. It just seems so out of left field that I thought. <laughs> Mary's makeup was perfect. Up? I know. Joseph was. I, I've never enjoying... had Christmas dress. So, I, I mean, I hope the, the viewers will, you know, tune in and I hope that they will want to see this, but wow. Christmas Sarcasm dress, I've never. Sarcasm is your spiritual gift. So thank you for thank you oh, for sharing. You it just with reminded us. me I've been working on that. <laughs> okay. I'll so sermon it. number one is called I Sometimes Doubt. Wait, God. can we sorry to interrupt oh, yeah, you? Sorry. Can we tell people kind of the big picture? So this is a sermon series oh, about do. Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, kind of the longest biblical description of Christmas. And what we tried to do in this sermon series was just look at the people and realize, wow, the emotions they felt and the things they went through. 2000 years ago, we're exactly like our lives today. You know, people who, who doubted scripture, people who struggled to pray, people who are proud, people whose lives were crazy and busy and stressful. And when you kind of see that, this isn't like some distant planet far, far away. These are people just like we're people. And yet, boom, Jesus came right in the middle of their lives with his grace and his truth. So it's kind of the big idea in this stressful, crazy Christmas time, Jesus came in the past and he still comes to us today. Awesome. Thanks for explaining that. Um, yeah. So the first series is called, or the first sermon in the series is called, I sometimes doubt. And you went through and started talking about the book of Luke 
and all that Luke went through to sort of get to writing his gospel. Mm. And I think it's so important. I do this all the time with my classes. In fact, I do it until they like, I see the eyes glaze over. I'm telling them all this <laughs> stuff. And when they finally look at me, like, you know, we've been through this enough, then I kind of move on. But why is it so important that mm. we teach that the Bible is reliable? Yeah. Yeah. So if you've, you're listening and you've never read the start of Luke, it's really short, a paragraph, maybe too long. And he kind of explains that what he's about to write about Jesus isn't just his thoughts or his feelings or my parents taught me this. He's really establishing a credible, reliable, factual background for his whole gospel. So it's researched, there's evidence, there's eyewitnesses, there's Old Testament prophecy, um, it's it's organized. So for people who think, well, this is just his personal belief, Luke goes out of his way to say, no, you, you can never feel certain and good about something that I just happen to believe. But if this actually happened, if this is factual and I can prove it to you, well, then you have a good rock to stand on. And yeah, when I thought about your question, that is so huge because I feel like today we have a lot of people who have a foundationless faith. You know, they have a, a what they believe in. I believe God's like this. I believe God's like that. I believe marriage is this. I believe whatever's that. But if you ask them why, like, okay, I think I get what you believe. Why do you believe that? Like, why do you think that's right? Lots of people believe things that are wrong. So why should I trust your view instead of a hundred others? And, you know, in, in our era of kind of my truth and we all have to accept each other and be tolerant, we kind of end up with faith that lacks facts. And I, I think you can get away with that for a little bit until you come face to face with a tough question or a person who believes something very different than you. You know, you can grow up in the church and like, yep, okay, the Bible's true. It's God's word. And then someone says, wait, why do you believe that? Why not the Quran? Why not Buddhism? Why not atheism? And so Luke does us this huge favor of saying, I'm not just going to tell you what's happened with Jesus. I'm going to tell you why you can trust why I'm telling you what happened with Jesus. Yeah. And there might've been a time that it was fair in the church to say, you know, just believe it. Cause I said so. Mm. And we've really gotten past that point. We realize now that our kids are not going to believe just because we do Yeah, like they're going to get out into the world where they are challenged constantly. Mm. And so if we don't teach them, like, why does this matter? And no, we have a foot to stand on here. God didn't just randomly give it to us and say, Hey, you'll figure it out someday. He's like, no, here's the answers. Yeah. Like, yeah. and this is why the four gospels look different, not because they're contradicting each other, but because they're written from different viewpoints. And so it mm. starts making sense when you get yeah. down to why is this like this? We just have to teach it. Yeah. So true. Yeah. If, if you've never studied this before, so people sometimes call this apologetics, which isn't making an apology. Uh, the Greek word apologia or apologia just meant defense. So, okay, here's what I believe. How can I defend it with patience and kindness? That's apologetics. And that's kind of what Luke does at the start of his gospel. Yeah. Awesome. So have you noticed some ways that Christians, even, you know, diehard Bible believing Christians sometimes plant doubt in each other's faith walk? Mm. Just phrases that we use or things that we maybe do. Yeah. So last Sunday, we had a super cool, we had a bap uh, baptism of a 22-year-old at our church. Um, so her name was Trinity. 
And before she came to the core, she could not have told you what the Trinity was. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for her. Um, su- sweet girl. She's been coming, learning about Jesus. She's loving it. Um, she's soaking it up. So I get to baptize Trinity last Sunday. And I was talking to some of her family members and, you know, kind of curious. Obviously, they didn't raise her with a really biblical foundation. And I meet her dad. And her dad says the most interesting thing. I think it's the answer to your question. He said he was growing up in a church. I won't say which one. And he had all these questions about spiritual things. But no one was open to even hearing the questions. You know, so he had these doubts about things. Well, what about this? What about that? And it was kind of like, sit down, be quiet. Don't ask. And so he kind of walks away from it. And I don't know if I can blame him and therefore doesn't raise his daughter Trinity to kind of know Christian truth. Right. And so here, here he comes. It was really neat. I'm talking to him, having this great conversation. He seemed like a really great guy. And uh, his daughter is behind us. And she says, see, dad, I told you, like, you can come to church and ask questions. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens with their family. They seem like amazing people, seem like they're growing fast. But I, I think one of the things we can do is we sometimes get scared by questions. Someone's challenging us, doubting their faith. Shh, just don't talk about that. Just believe mm-hmm. it because I said so. But eventually, I mean, it happens all the time where those doubts and questions don't go away. And soon when you're not 10 years old, you're, you're 20, you're going to make your own choice and you're probably not going to stick around and you disconnect from the word of God. So, yeah, I think something we can really do to deal with doubts is just listen to questions. If we don't know the answer right away, that's okay. Saying, Hey, yeah, that's, that's great. Let me dig into that a little bit. And maybe authors like Luke and others in the Bible, uh, some good apologetics resources can help us get through those doubtful moments. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, that we just give these really fakey answers when people are in the middle of really hard times, Mm. even as Christians, you know, like somebody's going through something like a breakup. I deal with teens a lot, you know, and we kind of minimize it or be like, well, you know, things are going to get better. Da 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 da. Instead of being really like, Hey, God sees your heartache. Mm -hmm. Like God is intimately involved in your life. He knows. Mm -hmm keep praying. And he, he definitely has a plan for you, but I think to sort of just push people aside as -hmm. if God doesn't care when God very much cares about the big, the little, the everything in our lives can really make people wonder like, well, does God really care about me? Mm, Yeah. You know, when a strong Christian is like, "Eh, it's not that big of a deal. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You'll be dead soon. Eternity lasts forever. (laughs) Suck it up. God is good. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I like what you're saying. There's, you can use a good theological truth. Like life is short. Eternity is forever. And you can use it in a, you can weaponize that. Yeah. And it can really hurt people and maybe push them away from God instead of draw him towards. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. The second sermon was called. Oh, I find the second it hard to, sermon. I find it. Amber, hard have you, have you seen the visuals of the second sermon? Um, this was, what, this was the sermon the where uh, a coworker built like oh, yeah, a I did. legit I to size yeah. altar of incense, like from the temple. Your excitement and scared me there for a minute. That I was I temporarily it. like, I couldn't I, think at all because <laughs> you were so excited. I, I stunned you. It was so Between cool. Between that I'm, and the sweater, I was totally <laughs> deer in the headlights. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening, you seriously, even if you don't listen to the whole sermon, you got to check out what my coworker Tom made. He kind of took the measurements from the Old Testament to build an altar of incense. 
And I, <laughs> I picked up some incense from like a downtown smoke shop where I, where I live. And it, it is a visual I'll never forget. It, I think about prayer all the time that just like mm-hmm. incense, we, I lit it in church and it kind of rose up and yep. Just like that incense, your prayer reaches God and it's sweet to God. So I preached that a year ago now, and I can still remember the big idea because of that visual. So you got to check that out. That is funny because I just taught my Sunday school class. The reason that Jesus used so many parables is because when he puts a picture to something, we tend to remember it Yes. so that you can remember it a year later is because you have a picture in your mind of that whole thing. Yeah. That's why Jesus was masterful. Yeah. One of the many reasons, but, um, you admitted in the sermon, even started, (laughs) you admitted that, you know, prayer for you was kind of your maybe lowest, um, in terms of spiritual things, you're really good at reading the Bible. You're Mm -hmm. generous person. You can, you know, do these other things, but when it comes to prayer, it's something you kind of struggle with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, our colleague, Dr. Bruce Becker, he wrote a book gifted for more and of everything that I have ever been a part of. I've never talked about one of my books as much as I've talked about, about Bruce, Bruce and his, everybody wants to talk about spiritual gifts. Every time they talk to me, they're like, Hey, do you know anything about spiritual gifts? I'm like, as a matter of fact, I've read Bruce's book. So, um, but anyway, I was, I was doing a conference on not too long ago on spiritual gifts. And the night before I was doing a Bible study from, uh, Tim Keller, And he was talking about how the apostle Paul was super generous with prayer that he, Mm. you know, as you read his letters, he's so generous with prayer, not just giving it, but also asking for it. And, um, I had never thought of that being like in the spiritual gifts and it wasn't listed as a spiritual gift. And I don't want to add something that isn't there, but I ended up kind of putting it in the giving section because we all know people who are really prayer warriors. That's Mm -hmm. their thing. So first of all, was I wrong to put it in the spiritual Mm. gifts? Totally putting you on the spot. Yeah. I had to think about that one. Yeah. And yeah, I was trying to think why, why is prayer so hard for me? And I think, I think here's why, because when I read the Bible in the morning, wow, I, there's some, often there's some immediate takeaway like, oh, that's really exciting. Or, Ooh, that's really convicting but I, I see the fruit of it when I give generously and, you know, show up to try to help someone or volunteer or serve, like almost in that moment, they're grateful or wow, they felt really good to help out. So I feel like with a lot of the things we do spiritually, there's an immediate, I don't want to go to church, but then I went and wow, you know what? That turned out to be a really great morning. I needed to hear that. But prayer is one of those things where <laughs> I know sometimes you pray and like, oh, okay. I... <laughs> It's not like poof on the count of three, God gives the blessing. So I was thinking of, isn't in the list list of spiritual gifts, the gift of faith. Yeah. I I think that's in there. That's like believing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to really believe that God says that prayer is powerful. There you go. You really have to have a biblical conviction and a trust in God to say, okay, even if I don't see the answer to this now or in 10 minutes or in 10 hours or in 10 months. Like my prayer did reach God. So could it be giving? Yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense to me if it was people who have tremendous faith pray. Because even if they don't see the result for decades, they keep doing it because they believe my God is a God of truth and he'd never lie to me. Mm, That's good. 
Good, good, good. So who are the prayer warriors in your life? Oh, man. I feel so... Uh, it's really crazy, and it's such a blessing. I wonder how many good things happen to me because of these amazing people from Time of Grace that pray. I, I mean... Mm -hmm. I meet saints all the time, especially a lot of older Christians who say, Pastor, I, I, we haven't met, but I pray for you all the time. I'm like, wow, yeah, there, there's probably dozens, maybe hundreds of prayers that God is hearing every single one. He loves yeah. those prayers and he answers them. So I wonder how many times I'm in a good mood or I see something in the Bible or something comes out of my mouth in a sermon that I didn't intend. And I don't know, is that the answer to someone's prayer that I've never met? So like it would take a while to get through all the people. I'm, that's really humbling to me. I don't, mm. <laughs> for a guy who struggles with prayer, for God to turn around yeah. and provide all these people who pray on my behalf is, uh, it's pretty, pretty sweet to think about. That's awesome. That is a huge part of time of grace. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that the reach that we have been able to get is because of the prayers of many people. Yeah. Um. You said that. Gabriel, when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, you said something that I found so great. You said this was no chubby Hallmark angel. <laughs> this was a warrior from heaven. And I thought this would be a good time to just push pause because a lot of people kind of have that image in their mind of, of angels. And at Christmas, we do hear angels in the Luke account. And so what are angels if they're not just messengers? sent to deliver a message mm. and who are they worrying if they're warriors, who are they warring against and, and what's their job there and explain that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every time in the Bible, an angel shows up, the very first thing the angel says is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Right. So yeah, I, I never see like a chubby baby in a stroller and like, Oh, and then the, bar the parents don't have to say, don't be afraid. He's not, you're safe. <laughs> right so that Good should probably point. tell us that there is something about just the way that angels appear that is so yeah. terrifying to even grown men who are together you know, the shepherds don't don't be afraid a single angel yeah. terrified a whole group of like third shift grizzled men which should tell you they are extraordinarily powerful and uh, supernatural and beautiful can i push pause there for a second yeah so correct me i'm totally open to correction but i always thought it was the holiness factor that caused mm. that fear so anytime and maybe i've done this wrong but i've told my sunday school classes like anytime human sinful people come into the presence of holiness mm. it is terrifying yeah like yeah if it's the angel of the lord who was jesus prior to becoming a human or whatever like the yep. holiness factor is just like, we can't stand in the presence of holiness. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. yeah I think those two go together. So okay. if, if I'm sinful and God and the angels are holy, like there, there's a gap they, they don't like everything that I am. And if they have all the power and the knowledge to see it and deal with it, yeah, that's a terrifying thought. Right. So that, that's why the, the news of Jesus who makes us holy enough to stand with the angels and with the presence of God is such good news. So yeah, I, I think you're right. If they were just powerful, but we were on the same team by nature, yeah. maybe it wouldn't be scary. It'd be like, yeah, that's our guy. But if we're on the other side because of sin, like then, right. oh my goodness. Yeah, that holiness is a, a terrifying thought. So yeah, yeah, well said. And there are, we should just distinguish, there are evil angels. Correct. So who, who the angels are at war with. Yep. Yeah, so you think they're uh, at war with 
the, the army of evil. Correct. Yeah. Ephesians chapter six, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities of darkness. So there are spiritual beings, good and bad, uh, God and the holy angels versus the father of lies, the devil and the fallen demons. And we're caught in the middle of this cosmic war. Um, the d- devil wants to lie to us, subtly drag us away from the truth. And the angels are God's messengers and powerful allies that help us get us closer to Jesus. So, yeah, we sometimes don't yeah. think about the whole like cosmic spiritual battle that's been going on for however long. So, yeah, yeah awesome. I think of, you know, the, the actual word that's used in Luke chapter two, the, the hosts of heaven. So you sometimes hear that in Christmas hymns or carols, the heavenly hosts. And the word host literally means armies. So we sometimes think of like the host at Applebee's, (laughs) like, or I'm hosting a party. Um, But the original definition of the word literally means armies. So the heavenly hosts are like the warriors of heaven all showing up because their general and king named Jesus has been born. So it's like, yeah, here's this battle. We've been fighting against the demons forever. And our general is coming marching in to smash the devil in the face through his own death. And so it's like every soldier lines up because here comes the king and the general to march to the front of the battle. Awesome. Was it Elijah or Elisha that his servant, you know, was terrified because the army was coming against them and he took him outside and he asked that God would open his eyes and the hillside was full Yep. Of chariots of angels. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's an amazing story. I think that's Elisha, but I, to be honest, even after all these years, I just don't think it's fair that <laughs> the Old Testament does that to us. Just pick, I don't know, just <laughs> pick like Ted or Chuck. <laughs> we have so many name options. Why do we got to, why do we got to make them so close? Oh. It's like, why did Jesus choose two James? Like that had to be confused. There's only 12 guys, Jesus. You didn't pick them because they were amazing. You had a... <gasps> Yes. It's Elisha. Thank you, uh, producer Nia. We, we appreciate you. <laughs> while I'm, you while I'm yelling at, at God, <laughs> remember at God, Nia just quietly just gives the right answer. So I was staying out of that because that's between you and God. So I thought you two can have that. I'm, I've got enough going right now, but I would like to, because in this, in this sermon, you talked about, you know, with the incense and everything, the reason it came up is not just because of prayer, but because Zechariah had gone in to offer incense and then the angel came to him and then told him he was going to have a son. And I maybe don't always see the difference. And I think I maybe know, maybe it's the difference in their heart. But if you read Zechariah's response to Gabriel, which was, um, how can I be sure this is going to happen? How can I be sure of this? Mm -hmm. Isn't it sort of similar to Mary's, which was, how can this be since I am a virgin? They Mm -hmm. both said how, Mm -hmm. and, and his wife was beyond the age of giving birth. Yep. So, but yet the angel was not having it when, when Zechariah was like, I mean, yeah, but how can I be sure Gabriel put him in his place like fast. So clearly there was something that wasn't. Yep. Touche, or wasn't cool about this. So what, yep. what is the difference in those questions? Yeah. I mean, as a, a teacher, a parent, there's, there's different categories of questions, right? Right. There's just the honest, in a sense, like, whoa, this is new. How, wait, tell me how this works. Yeah. 
And it's not pride. It's just <clears throat> ignorance and curiosity. Right. So that's what I see in Mary. Like, oh, okay. I, I kind of know how babies work. <clears throat> how is this going to happen? I've never been with Joseph. Like, how can right. this be? Right. So it's more of just shock and curiosity where even the wording of Zechariah's question, well, how can I be sure? Like, okay, you just said it, but how can I, I be sure? Um, it's yeah. just someone who's like pushing the evidence is never good enough. Okay. And I, I think that's why we see, you know, the grace and the explanation for Mary, Hey, nothing's impossible with God. And with Zechariah, there's a consequence and he's struck without the ability to speak for a few months. So yeah, you're right to notice the overlap, but there is a little bit of difference. And I think we see that reaction in Luke chapter one. Well, it's the same. I mean, we see the difference with Abraham and Sarah too. They both laughed, but mm. Sarah was like told that's not cool. Whereas mm. Abraham got away with it. So, I mean, there, I mean, there must be something with their heart there too, maybe. Hey, yeah. the, another thing that I thought of when I was listening to the sermon, and again, might not be fair to ask you, but did Gabriel just have the power to strike him? Like, <laughs> you won't be able to speak or did you, did God tell him beforehand? Like, if he doesn't listen to you, mm. I'll give you the ability. Like do angels as you know, as we're driving over the speed limit <laughs> and maybe something's going to happen. The consequence does our angel have permission to like scare us suddenly. So we push the brakes or do they have to get, have to have to get permission from God. Oh, Wow. I've never thought of that. There's, I don't think there's any biblical answer to that. Like how much can, are you asking how much authority has God given yeah, to angels? Gabriel like, okay, up, like, to, up to I this, you can do it. I in the presence of God and you're not going to be allowed to speak. And I'm like, wait a second, did this come from God? Or do the angels have a certain amount of like hmm. leeway that God gives them? Like, Hey, he's your person, but you know, she's getting out of yeah. hand. Like she usually does just go ahead and that's interesting. I don't know that the Bible would give an answer, but if you think of angel armies and God's the commander in chief, king of kings, I mean, a good army would entrust some level of authority to the different ranks. So, well, it makes sense, but the, we're speculating here on the podcast. So don't write that one in your Bible just yet. <laughs> we're going to go to sermon three. All right, let's do it. And I have to be totally transparent. I'm pretty sure I had too much pride listening to this one. The sermon is called, I might have too much pride. <laughs> and the very first thing that you said, I was arguing with you. Like the very first sentence out of your mouth was like in Bible college and in seminary, my professor. Wait, 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 wait. That is, is that your impression of me right now? Do I, I'm sorry. That is... sorry, sorry. Let me, I was getting my CL on, you know, whenever CL talks about someone else, he's always like, in Bible college. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, oh, your, your sentence It's a was, good thing I'm wearing this Christmas sweater. I'm sweating under here. Holy cats. Your sentence was, we were taught to flip it. So the people who think they're good, we have to, we have to show them that they're bad. And the people who think they're really bad, we have to show them that they're good. And you took like 10 minutes in your sermon explaining what you meant, but mm. I was stuck at the first statement mm. going, hold on a second. They give you that authority in seminary. Like, what if you misread people and mm. what if you, you pegged me as bad? And so you're going to put me down, but I'm, I'm really just confident or, mm. I, yeah, I know your, your glance is telling me I need to confess, 
No, I, I'm, I like this. I'm, I'm headed there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the good news is I kept listening. And you pointed out how Jesus did this and how over and over Jesus was telling the religious people who thought they had it made hmm. that, Hey guys, it's not about you. Like it, it it's not, it's, you're not going to earn your way to heaven, but all the people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people who in, in the Pharisees eyes, they weren't any good. Jesus was hmm. saying to them, no, the kingdom of heaven is for you. Like you're in, don't worry about it. So why is it a pastor's job to confront the pride that so often wells up in us? Yeah. Because pride is always the problem. Always. There is no sin and no spiritual issue that if you don't pull back enough layers, you don't end up with the exact same thing, which is pride. So I, I think... Man, why do I get so impatient? Well, because I, I deserve better. Yeah. I deserve I deserve a church service where there's no kids being loud so I can listen to the word. I deserve an interstate where no dumb drivers get in my lane. I deserve <laughs> like, oh my God, I deserve all the politicians to do just what I want. Like mm. I deserve a spouse who always remembers what I prefer and they always do that thing because I am obviously so important. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? I have many leather bound books. Like <laughs> your know, pride is yeah. constantly pride messes with parenting, pride messes with siblings, pride messes with churches and pastors and all of us. And Jesus knew it. And so sometimes pride was God, I thank you. I'm not like those sinners. Right. And Jesus had to come at him. And sometimes the pride was, well, I could never be forgiven. Well, Okay, let's check your feelings because that's not the ultimate source of truth. And if Jesus says you're forgiven, so really, whatever, whether we're bringing the law and the gospel to a heart, I mean, pride is always the human condition. That that was the great fall. Yeah, uh, we we stopped being humble and submitting to the word of God once Adam and Eve bit the fruit, and ever since then, pride is always the issue. And that was why Satan did what he did. He rose up against God because of pride. He wanted what God had. He refused to submit to God. Yes. He wanted to be equal. Oh, yes. So um, I was, I kept thinking about, you didn't bring it up in the sermon, but this back in the plank, you know, Jesus mm. said, you know, we're all constantly looking at what we feel is everybody else's problems, right? Mm. We can yep. fix everybody else. And Jesus was like, why are you trying to take the speck out of their eye when you have this huge monster plank in your own, like first deal with your own issues. Mm -hmm. And then you can see to help other people. How can that help us parents in our marriages confront people and, or are there other teachings of the Bible that really would help us as we deal with our pride? Yeah. Amber, I, I noticed in the notes that you sent me, there was one line that you skipped in this question. And I'm just, was that intentional? I was yes, really looking forward was. to talking about it. And I feel like, like, oh, she didn't say it. Yes, it's sad. It probably took me 15 years of marriage to realize I was at least half of the problem. <laughs> yes. It's a true story. You know yeah. what? The first, the first years of marriage, you know, you come into your marriage feeling like, well, my family did everything right. Mm. And this is how things should be done. You know, mm. like 
Christmas yep. is done this way and Easter is done this way. And of course we're going to go to early service. Good Christians <laughs> don't go to late service. I mean, that's just, everybody knows that. Yes. And it took me many, many, many years of marriage to realize that, oh man, yeah. Amber, you're part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I had a, heard a sermon from a pastor years and years ago. He said his best idea in marriage counseling never once worked. Oh, his idea was he'd, he'd ask one person who was really frustrated, like, okay, let me make this little pie chart and I'm going to let you divide up the pie. So how much of this drama, this stress, this tension, how much of it is her, is her fault, his fault, your spouse's fault, and how much is your fault? And so the person, of course, would make, you know, this massive big piece for my spouse. <clears throat> and then they'd make this little sliver, you know, maybe 25%, more likely 15, 10%. So the pastor would say, okay, let's say for now, I totally believe you. 90% of this is your spouse's fault. For the next hour, I want to talk about the 10% that you just said is your fault. And the, he said, it seemed like the best idea because the person was admitting, I, I, I've done some things wrong here. I've sinned. But they were absolutely unwilling to talk about that 10%. They could not talk about the 10 without blaming it on the 90. Well, the reason I did this little slice yes. was because, you know, he or she. Um, so, yeah, you know, pride is just. Yes. It's always the thing. I, you know, I think of the conflict I've had in my life. I think of the rougher seasons of marriage. Like, it's, it's always because I make it about Mike. And so, yeah, you ask, well, what do we do? Um, I just wrote down, read Philippians two until you oh. die. <laughs> just to... wait a minute. Are you saying if you read it enough, it will kill you or <laughs> you're saying it should be a lifelong endeavor? That is, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. You know, Philippians you know... two is this <laughs> yeah. epic, epic, just read the first 10 verses even. And I, there's rarely, I'm in a conflict. Oh, you could just read verses three and four, yes. do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit period. Yeah. If you stop there, yeah. that would end. But yeah, go ahead with yeah. what the rest of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Consider others more important than yourselves. Let your mindset or your attitude be like that of Christ, who, even though he was God, he didn't use it for his advantage, but he took the form of a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. So I, I, I've never been in a conflict and open to Philippians two and thought, no, I'm, I'm doing that. Yeah. It's always been God like slapping me and like, okay, yeah. number one, it's not just 10%. Number two, even if it was, let's talk about that 10%, Mike. And I've just found, haven't you noticed this in, I don't know about your marriage, but if I come at Kim, even if I'm right, but I'm coming with pride, yeah, it, it never helps. But if I come to her with humility, like, hey, I, I, I know this was a hard week for us, and I just want to own my slice of the pie. I said this, I did this, I didn't do this. I could have done this, and I didn't, and that's not how God wants me to treat you, and I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And her reaction, it, it's so hard to hate humility. Yeah. You know? And so, it, man, we should know that Jesus came humbly, and it gave us a great relationship with the Father. And when we come oh, humbly yes. to other people, it makes great relationships, too. My marriage changed for the best when I realized that Steve was not my enemy, that Satan mm -hmm. was always the enemy. Like mm -hmm. we are always on the same side. We both want a godly Christian marriage. Mm -hmm. So when I realized he is not the problem, like whatever we're going through, 
it's sin, the world or the devil, like Mm -hmm. then we're on the same team. We can face it together. But you know, you know who Dr. Gary Chapman is. He wrote the five love languages. And I saw, I saw him uh, speak at a conference once and he, he said almost exactly what you said. He does a lot of marriage counseling. He said, people will come in the first time and he says, all right, I want you to write all the things that your spouse does to contribute to the the problems in the marriage. And he said, people write a page, sometimes ask for another page, sometimes ask for a third page. He says, okay, great. Now I want you to write all the things that you can do to contribute to the problems in the marriage. He said, no one has ever gone past three, Mm. three things. So we can see what they're doing. Like we remember, we score keep, we do all this, but no, we, we never get to, oh, looking at ourselves and what we're contributing. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Okay. We, we need this sermon. Like we just need God to keep, oh. <laughs> to keep working. And Christmas is so great, right? Because uh, how else do you describe what Jesus did besides humility? Yeah. Um, he, and he I humbled just want himself. to yeah. encourage people to listen to it three times. Like I do, did, because you might, if you're full of pride, like I was the first time you might need the other two. So <laughs> just go ahead and quit play again. Okay. Sermon number four. I want to get to this because it's about being overwhelmed. It's called, I feel overwhelmed. I loved this sermon. I was high-fiving you through my radio the whole time, but I want to know, are you a fan of Christmas carols? Which ones? And when do you start listening to them? (laughs) I'm going to judge you. I'm going to tell I was going to say, <laughs> I was prepared for this question, but then before we hit record, I just saw a total different side of Amber that I'm, I'm really, it's like asking a, a Packers like fan, saying, like, what do you think about the bears? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's like, I hate veal, but do you like veal? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't hate Christmas carols. Just, uh, just some of them. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, this has been, this has been a unique year for me. Uh, actually I'm preparing for a series of messages at our church called Christmas playlist. Oh. And so we're, we're taking some of the most famous Christmas carols that's going to be on the playlist and anal- theologically analyzing the lyrics. Oh, praise Jesus. When are you doing this? <laughs> do you need, gonna, do you need someone like, to come help? See, can I, can I be an invited row? guest? Do you need me? I'm available. I'll be at your church. When do you want me? Oh, <laughs> uh, you're going to. So I get my, sorry, tangent. I get my haircut at a black barber shop, which is like a block from our church. Uh, just awesome. The guys there are awesome. Haircuts are awesome. And uh, lots of the guys there grew up in like kind of classic African-American church. So they sometimes the, all the barbers will get going together of what church was like as kids for them. Like, you tell them, pastor, you keep. And I always had to say, oh, I grew up in a German Lutheran church and that never happened ever. But I'm picturing you like I'm picturing you. White Amber L.B. Swenson, like up, <laughs> like it's like it's black. You tell him, Pastor Mike. <laughs> oh, so anyway, I, I, I was preparing for this Christmas playlist series, and you know, I'm listening to the songs and I'm studying the lyrics, and then my neighbor, another pastor at our church here in the office, he comes over and he says, "Are you listening to Christmas music?" And it dawned on me that it was October 31st. So <laughs> we were multiple holidays before it came. So I've started early. I have a Puerto Rican coworker who tells me in Puerto Rican Christian culture, November 1st is the day when all the de- decorations go up. 
so she can tell in her neighborhood who's Puerto Rican because everyone's got their lights outside their house the first day of November. So normally I'm not this way, but yeah, I'm like been listening to the carols. My wife's got the tree up. Uh, I'm wearing the Christmas sweater and we're recording this what in, in mid-November. So I'm, I, we can still be friends. We can, God has given us grace, ability to disagree on such things. Time of grace. (laughs) I will have grace. All right. I think Sometimes women get this very wrong with Christmas. Wait, I am you're asking charge. me a question about what women think. No, I'm not. I'm this... I'm leading up to it. And I okay. can say this because I'm a woman. Okay. I'm in charge of this devotion series that's going to be come out by this ministry. Hmm. And so for the last two months, women have been sending me their Christmas Advent devotions. Oh. At least a third of them are like, every year I strive to have the perfect Christmas. Mm-hmm. every year by mid-December, I'm stressed out. I hate life. I don't like my family. <laughs> when will Christmas ever come? When will it be over? I don't have sleep. I don't have enough money. I don't have. Mm-hmm. So my point is, I think women get stressed out a lot with yeah. the Christmas season and the expectations of what Christmas is supposed to be. The parties, the gifts, the yeah. church events, the whatever. And crazy busy is one of the reasons that you gave for why we get too overwhelmed at Christmas. Yeah. So what is the biblical approach that we need man, woman, child, otherwise to keep us grounded during the season so that we don't hate Christmas? (laughs) I mean, I'm not talking from experience. I'm just saying some people. (laughs) That's I have a friend who. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's such a good question, isn't it? And even for church life, I mean, just think of the church calendar right. of, right? wow, we, we got the best news in the world that Jesus humbled himself to save us. And yet, sometimes it's hard to find great joy. It, you, you like wake up and it's January and you don't know what happened. Um, what's coming to my mind right now, so I don't mean for this to be a shameless plug, but I just had a chance this past year to write a book on the parable of the sower. Yes. Uh, it's called What's Big Start Small. Excellent book. And what I really took away from that and the the practical thing for me is that when Jesus talks about how faith grows, like a joyful, full of peace, satisfied kind of faith, he said it's it, it's like God's word is a seed that you plant in your heart and then it grows to something really big and beautiful. Well, what Jesus said in that story was sometimes that seed doesn't grow into something big and beautiful. Sometimes you don't have tons of peace and joy. And one of his reasons why was because the desire for other things chokes it out. Absolutely. So I, I can slip a little baby Jesus into your December. You can make it to the church services, but if there's no space, like practically you've done, they're not bad things. You've just chosen to do the shutterfly card with the pictures and you're not just going to write the Christmas letter. It's going to be clever. Like, I got like, we're going to, it's going to be like an, an acronym for all the kids' names. And I'm going to have these like really sweet cards and, oh, we're going to go to the party and get the sweater and the white elephant gift. And we're going to make it to your family and my, none of that's bad. The problem is, is that if there's no space, you can squeeze a seed into a centimeter cube of dirt, but it cannot grow. That's not how seeds work. And the gospel that produces peace doesn't work that way either. And so I would just say, if you want this Christmas to be one full of peace and joy, don't, don't repeat what you did last year 
and just tack on a prayer for peace and joy. Mm, beautiful. Like, clear out that garden. Don't feel guilty. God actually wants you to have peace, not a sweet shutterfly card. So <laughs> like disappoint a few people. So the people that are in your life can see a joyful, positive, praising Jesus version of you instead of the frazzled, burnt out, impatient one. I love that. Okay. The other part of this message is crazy hard because some people are crazy busy, but for some people, the holidays are just crazy hard because mm. someone has died a relationship has ended. They don't have the money, whatever it is. How is Christmas the answer to being overwhelmed by how hard life can be? Yeah. Yeah. Let's imagine two Christians. Um, one of them's having a bunch of family drama. Let's say they're sitting at home by themselves because they had a fight with their parents or their brother or their sister. So they're just kind of sitting there lonely. On um, the other Christian had an amazing family and a great spouse, but that spouse is in heaven now. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy hard not having that perfect, you know, fire blazing around the table with the turkey and everything else. Um, I might say to that person just conceptually, how happy would you be if that person you love so much was here right now? Like if your husband somehow could come back just for this night and be with you in this moment, what would you feel? Um, man, if your family could work this out and you could all be with one another around the table, what kind of Christmas would this be? And I'd wait for the answers. I could probably guess. It'd be a comfort. It'd be a joy. It'd be emotionally moving. It'd be the best. Then I'd say, how about this? Emmanuel. God with us. Yeah. So, no, I, I can't bring your husband back. And no, I can't push a button and fix this dysfunctional family, but I have something better than your husband or your family. He's a big, glorious God, and he's really what you need. Um, maybe we want earthly blessings, and they're, they're great, but they are so small compared to the bigness of the God who came into this world so that he could be with you always to the very end of the age. So to me, the, the present of Christmas is the presence of God. And that's why Jesus got that amazing nickname, Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was a, it was a lovely sermon. And I hope that it touches a lot of people's lives. I hope people tune in because it was beautiful the way yeah. that you presented it. And that is the answer. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Amen. Well, thanks for talking. I feel like we, we, we touched on all the emotions together, Amber. There was anger, joy, debate, surprise, <laughs> tension. Happiness. That's that's the human experience. So and I think we can forget about Shutterfly being one of our sponsors now. So <laughs> we've got that. But it just comes to mind because honestly, my wife makes these insanely cool calendars for everyone in the family. They're so good. She like stores all the pictures on a drive oh, and then makes it like a, a customized sweet. calendar for my parents and for her mom and for her that's sister awesome. and for our family. Um, so it Shutterfly, if you're listening, we we appreciate what you do. So <laughs> all right, Amber, let's wrap it up. Um, so thanks everyone for listening. Wow. I, I know it's a busy Christmas season. So for you taking time means a lot to us. December, if you don't know, is a really huge month for time of grace. We have really incredible people who love to support what we do. And this month we actually have a $150,000 challenge grant, which is so insane to me. There are people who love the spread of the gospel that much. And they're challenging all of us who are listening to try to meet that number. So uh, your gift is going to make twice the impact. 
And we're really excited to see what God does this holiday season and in the year to come. Um, so you can jump on timeofgrace.org. You can learn all about that. You can also find some pretty cool uh, resources that we have. Speaking of calendars, uh, we're gonna have a gospel-filled, truth-filled, Bible passage-packed calendar that's about to come out in conjunction with the best of the year Time of Grace DVD. So when I think of when I think of all the conversations we've had, Amber, like <laughs> the best little moments from each one, uh, we put together some of like the most impactful messages of the year. Uh, that's going to be a great resource and a great gift if people want to pick that up. So. If that interests you, jump to timeofgrace.org. We're so grateful for your prayers because they're powerful, your financial support because it makes a difference. And we're thankful for your time today. So Amber, any last words before we say goodbye? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. God bless.